Good morning again. If you have a Bible with you, I would invite you to turn to the book of 1 Peter with me. The book of 1 Peter. If you don't have a Bible with you, it'll be on the screen behind me. If you're just getting used to the Bible and you brought one today, you can start at the back and flip your way there and you'll run into it eventually. A little small but huge letter of 1 Peter. We believe that uh, working through the Bible verse by verse is a great way to learn and to get the full scope of what's happening. And so we're committed to doing that. And we love going through uh, this book together of 1 Peter. It's our third week and we're going to be in chapter 1 still. And we're going to be in verse 13 in just a moment. My wife was uh, gone yesterday and I said to the girls, I said, hey, let's clean the upstairs. And their response, the question that they asked me, many of you can gather, is a one word question. It was, why? It is the most asked question in our home. So simple, but yet so packed, demanding an answer. Why? Well, I think it's not just the most asked question in our home. I think it's the most asked question of humanity. In fact, I think the question why is what makes us human. If you were to teach a dog a new command, they might not enjoy it at first. It might take them a little while to catch on. But one of the things you never have to do is explain to them why they are doing it. It happens. It just, they just do it. We are people of why. We want a reason. We want an answer. And the answer that we do not want to hear is because I said so. We want a better explanation than that. Thankfully, Christianity is a belief system that exists to answer the why questions. Why am I here? Why do all these things happen in the world? And they don't just give us blind answers that we have to believe in the dark, but reasonable answers with historical proof and proof from God himself. And the Bible gives us a reason or a why to our obedience to God. And it is not just because I said so. Peter is about to give to these dispersed exiles who are struggling, that are having a hard time in their faith, that have experienced some persecution. They know that some is coming from Rome, but he is about to give them in the midst of their heartache, in the midst of their trials, some audacious commands to follow. And the same commands that are found in the word of God are for us to follow today, that God gives to us as Christ followers, because he cares about how we live no matter what is happening. But God also gives us the why of these commands. And that's what we're going to see in our text today. As we remember, the purpose of this letter is to encourage the Christians to give them a clear picture and understanding of the true gospel of God. And once they understand the true gospel of God by grace, to stand firm in it or to live in action as a result of it. So just as last week Peter did not separate the gospel from our trials, he doesn't separate it from the commands of God either. But they are woven in and throughout. So if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word, we're going to read 1 Peter 1, 13 through 21 together. 
Peter, a dear friend of Jesus, an eyewitness to his sufferings and his resurrection through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this in verse 13 of chapter 1. Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who has called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. If you appeal to the Father who judges impartially according to each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in reverence during your time living as strangers. For you know that you were not redeemed from empty, your empty, you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for you. Through him you believed in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Peter starts out his piece here in this letter with the word, therefore. Hopefully you've been reading along with us throughout this time and you saw that therefore as you read this passage this week. Well, let me tell you this. Whenever you're reading the Bible and you get to the word therefore, you have to stop and ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? All right, huh? How about that, huh? A little easy. You'll never forget it. I know it's cheesy. But you stop and look at it and you say, okay, Peter is now making a transition from what is true of God to how he has called us now to live while we are in exile. So he doesn't say once you get out of exile and things get easier, start living this way. No, because Christ is the same yesterday forever while you're in exile. What he's called you to do, no matter where you find yourself, good or bad, this is how you are meant to live. So let's look first of all at the command that he gives them before we get to the whys of why they are li- what they are called to do while living in exile. First thing is this. God has called you to prepare your mind while living in exile. Everybody say mind. God has called you to prepare your mind. He says right here, therefore with your minds prepared for action. Some of you have an older translation. In the actual language that this was written in the Greek, the wording here is gird up the loins of your mind. Back in those old times, they used to wear long flowing robes, the men and the women. And it was very difficult to participate in physical activity in those long flowing robes. So when they would prepare themselves for action, they would take the robes, stick it between their legs, and then tuck it into their belts so that they could move around freely. So if they were going to run or participate in a fight, you know, like in our modern culture, if two dudes are really angry at each other and they're ready to fight, they rip their shirts off. And this way, they would pull up their robes, tuck them in, and they were ready for action, right? They would fight each other it's like Paul is saying get your work boots on of your mind it's time to get busy prepare your minds for action 
Because out of your mind flows everything. Every action begins as a thought, first of all, in your mind. So Peter knows if your mind is not engaged, if your mind is not in control, your actions are going to follow what's in your mind. So get it together. Prepare your mind first for action. Even when someone says, I just did that without thinking. Is that actually true? No, you just didn't give enough thought to it or your mind wasn't prepared for what you just did. Everything begins as a thought in your mind, whether it's quick, premeditated, but everything passes through the mind before it comes out into your life. Who's in control of your mind? The answer is you. Who's in control of my mind? The answer is me. What goes in, what I meditate on, What I choose to think about, I control what gets into my mind and how long it stays there. Lots of thoughts are given about the mind. We're in a a state where everyone is spiritual and into meditation. And the thought is to free up your mind. Now that isn't anything new. It was started by Morpheus, right? He's told us to free our minds. But that actually is not what Peter is saying here. Peter is not saying free your mind. Or clear your mind. Have you ever done that before? I seem to get outside and clear my head. That's not what Peter is calling you to. He's saying don't clear your mind. Fill your mind with the right things. Oh, we have so many different thoughts and things that are going on that live inside of our minds. Peter is saying get rid of those ungodly way of thinking and instead replace it with good thinking the way that God wants you to think. Here's what he says fill your mind with. It's right in the text. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So fill your mind, prepare it for action. And this is how you prepare it for godly action is by having your hope placed on Jesus. So he says, therefore... It's also not just connecting us to a new section, but it's referring back to the last section where Peter unpacks exactly what our hope is in. He told us last week that we have a living hope because we have been born again because of the Spirit and because of Christ's resurrection from the dead. We have a future hope because we have an inheritance that is uncorrupted, undefiled, kept in heaven, waiting for you. We have a refining hope, which means in the midst of your trial, you can believe that God is doing something in that trial. Your trial is not wasted if you allow it to be. God is using a trial to refine you, to burn away the impurities of your life, to take those out, to make you more like Jesus, and to keep you the whole time with his sustaining power. We have a living hope, a future hope, a refining hope, and a fulfilled hope that we saw last week. That Jesus is not the start of something new, but the fulfillment of something very old. And that Jesus has always been the way of salvation, whether people realized who he was or not. Because the Bible has always been not about works, but grace through faith is what saves us. So Peter is summarizing all of this. What do you set your mind on? One thing grace something you cannot earn something you could never deserve he says this is where you set your mind and it's a confident hope if you remember that it's not a hope of okay good 
Nebraska won last night. We're going to have a winning record. Like, that's not the kind of hope he's talking about here. He's not talking about me as a New York Jets fan that somehow we're going to make the playoffs. I'm hoping for that. No, he's saying this is a confident expectation that God is going to do what he says he was, is going to do. That's where our hope is found. So if Peter is saying, if all this is true, then this should cause us to act in a certain way, to want to please the one that has brought all these realities together. So if this is all true, you want to prepare your mind for action because Peter knows that your mind does not drift to godliness. Right? You with me on that? How many so often when you're just sitting there and thinking your mind automatically drifts to the things of God? No. It doesn't drift to the things of God. It drifts to distraction. It drifts to everything else that we can think of, the people in our lives, those that we are struggling with in our lives, our job, our work. We're so distracted, and Peter is saying you can't drift in the things of God. It must be an intentional thing to say, I'm going to put my hope and fill my mind with the things of God. We have these little devices called phones now, right? Did you know, this is staggering. I know there's going to be a gasp after I read this, and you're not going to believe me, but it's true. Did you know that the average person touches their phone 2,617 times a day? Like, what? That's just the average person. A heavy user touches their phone 5,427 times a day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're distracted, all right. The dings, the whistles, the blings that go off everywhere in our lives. Everyone is fighting to control our minds. And if you don't train yourself, you're going to drift into other distractions. But you need to train yourself to think on the hope of God. That's why Peter says, be sober-minded. Now, what do you think of when you think of sober? You think the opposite of being drunk, right? That is what Peter is saying here. He's saying don't be controlled by the world system and your own thoughts, but instead be sober-minded, which is being controlled by God. My wife, I'm so thankful for her sanctifying work in my life. She said to me the other day, she said, every morning when you wake up, you get right on your phone because it's plugged in right next to you at your bed. I was like, that's not true, right? Come on, you're just judging me. You do the same thing. And then I began to notice that that's exactly what I do. And what's the excuse? I use it as an alarm clock, right? And it's the most reliable alarm clock out there, right? That's what I tell her and what I told myself. But instead of, so many of us have that right next to us. And the moment we wake up, ESPN is waiting for you. Pinterest is waiting for you. Facebook, Insta, Snap, whatever you're into, no matter your political persuasion, CNN's waiting for you, or Fox News, one or the other, right? They're there, ready to take your mind and bring you in. So I've got an alarm clock now, and I'm going to plug the phone in outside, because this is what I want to do. I want to be committed that from the moment I wake up, my attention is not distraction from other things, but my attention, as much as it can be, is fully engaged with God. And to begin and start my day with him. And I would encourage you, if you want to have God in control of your mind, you must be intentional to give him the first parts of your day. Where it begins, where it starts. 
So if we're supposed to meet for a meeting and I'm late, just know that I have an old-fashioned alarm clock and it didn't work that day, all right? (laughs) But I'm doing that on purpose so that I can fill my mind with the grace of God instead of everything else. So if God is calling us to prepare our minds, what are they to be prepared for? Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who has called you is holy, you are also to be holy in all of your conduct. Secondly, God has called you to be holy in exile. He's called you to be holy. To be holy means to be set apart to God for his purposes. In the midst of the world, we are to be people that live differently. We think differently. We act differently. And what we say, what we watch, what we think about, we are to be people who are set apart together for a purpose to God. A community of people that lives in a new way, set apart from sin and the world to God. A mentor of mine simply defines this holiness as this, adjusting to God. That's pretty easy, isn't it? I mean, easy to define, harder to do, right? Holiness is simply adjusting to God. You ever been to a matinee before? You know, you go to the movie theater during the day, and it's dark in there, and your eyes adjust to the darkness of the movie, and then everybody goes out the side door, and it's like three in the afternoon, and they're like, oh, right, oh my goodness. Like everybody becomes instantly like guns vampires in that moment, right? All of you have had the same level of light, and now you're exposed to this bright light when you go outside. Well, you adjust to it. You squint. You put on your shades, whatever it is. And so holiness is saying, I've gotten used to the life, the darkness of the world. And then when I interact with the bright life of God, I adjust my life to him. I set myself apart and I adjust myself to God. We'll unpack that a little bit further, but we are, to be a, we are a people of the why. And so we say, okay, Peter, if you are calling us to be holy, and that starts with having our minds prepared for action, that takes a lot of effort. It's a lot easier to just let my mind think on whatever it wants. It's a lot easier to not adjust to God, but let God adjust to me. Why would we go through all of this? Here's the first why of we should be holy. Look at verse 16. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. First one is this. Why be holy? Because we want to be like our Father. Why be holy? Because we want to be like our Father. The Old Testament is the background of the whole of this letter. To be set apart in holiness is to be dedicated to God for his service. The nation of Israel was a peculiar nation that was unlike any of the others. They were called out by God to be set apart as holy. The tabernacle was set apart. It was holy. In fact, the whole purpose of the tabernacle was to tell you, you can't approach here on your own. It is so holy. You have no business being here. They had holy days. That's where we get the word holiday. They're days that are set apart that are different from the others. They had rituals to show you that something was very special and we're relate to God in a different way because he is altogether holy. And why it says it is written and also it's in bold right there is that Peter is actually quoting from the book of Leviticus 
Verse 11 and verse 4 to be exact. He says, God says, be holy before, because I am holy. So we want to be holy because we want to be like our dad, our father in heaven. If you've met my dad or you will, you'll notice that dad and I have the same laugh. It's a very strange laugh. And it's kind of embarrassing when someone like takes a photo while I'm laughing at something like this. <laughs> right? And I look over at dad and he's doing the exact same thing. And it's like there's not a lot of sound going out. And then eventually the sound gets out and it turns into something really loud. Right? Dad and I laugh the same. You can tell I belong to him. Uh, we walk the same. We call it the Posley Swagger. Right? Or the Posley Swy. I can't, I can't act it out. It just happens. It's what I do because I've inherited it from my father. As God's people, our desire is to be like our Father. And the Father says, be holy because I'm holy. God is never going to call you some, to something that he isn't already himself. And so my desire is to look at my Father and say, because you're so holy, that's my desire as well because I'm your son, I'm your daughter. You know, the angels and the visions that you see around the throne of God, they're now, they think of all the things that the angels could be saying. And what are they saying about God? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. They never stop saying it. I think we got a lot to learn about holiness as it relates to God. But one thing that we can learn is God is holy and he desires his children to be holy as well we don't God doesn't adjust to us we adjust to him verse 17 if you appeal to the father who judges impartially according to each one's work you are to conduct yourself in reverence during your time living as strangers secondly why should we be holy simply put we will be judged why should we be holy? We will be judged. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10 says this, For we must all, speaking to Christians here, appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. If you're in Christ, there will be a day that you will stand before God and you will give an account for your life. Not to be judged for your sins or to be put to shame, but to be judged on what we did with the life that God had given to us. And there should be a healthy fear in that. A healthy reverence that you're living before the face of God. And one day, not for fear of punishment, that I will give an account to God for the way that I live. That's why Peter says you're going to stand before an impartial God and he's going to judge you according to your work and what you did. Yes, salvation is by grace. It comes first, but God cares about how you live too. And if you belong to him, we live with a healthy fear that I'm going to give an account for the life that I live before God. Verse 18. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Thirdly and finally, why should we be holy? Because we've been redeemed. We've been redeemed. 
To redeem something means to pay the ransom for someone's freedom. I love how Peter, there's so many different ways to describe the gospel. I love how Peter describes it here. He says, you've been redeemed from your empty way of life. Ooh, I like that, don't you? Who's he writing to here? Jews and Gentiles together. And he describes the life of Gentiles a little bit later on in this letter. And he says, Gentiles are drunkards, slanderers, and evil doers. And he says, that was you. And you know that all those things are fun for a season. But at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, there's still an emptiness in your heart that you can't get rid of. Pursuing pleasure does not bring lasting fulfillment. It's an empty way of life. And you've seen that passed down through the generations to you. Everyone else was doing it. You've done it too. And every generation that is pursuing pleasure as a way of fulfillment realizes that I'm still empty. He's also talking to Jews as well. And Jews are those that are all, have always kept the rules. They've done everything right. But at the end of the day, self-righteousness or keeping all the rules leads to emptiness as well. So whether you're pursuing fulfillment in life by pursuing pleasure or by keeping all the rules, at the end of the day, Peter says, it's all empty. Whether you've been bad or seemingly been good, none of it will bring you the fulfillment you're looking for. And maybe you're somewhere in between those two and thinking, I'm not as bad as that other guy or I'm not as good as that other person. It's still emptiness. You know, when I think about the United States, we look for uh, wealth. We look for position as our way of fulfillment so that we can present our accomplishments, our acclimates and say, here, I've worked so hard for this in exchange for that. Now that I redeem it, I need a fulfilled life. When I think about redemption, I always think about like those arcade games where you get tickets and then you go redeem those for prizes. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, When I was a youth pastor, there was an old arcade downtown called All Play. It was the greatest arcade for as far as I'm concerned. They had the original Laser X there. It was beautiful. And they wanted us to bring students down there. So they sent me a $100 gift card to come to the arcade. But it had an expiration date on it. And I never used it until the last week. And I said to two guys that were at the church with me at the time, they said, we got to go use this thing tonight or it expires. And we went down to this arcade and one of the guys walked up to this machine and he's like, I know this machine. I used to play it every time in a tummo when I go to my grandma's at Happy Joe's. I can own this machine and we're going to get thousands of tickets. I said, let's do it. And we looked beforehand of all the stuff that we could buy. We had the Xbox in mind. The, everything that you could dream of. We had a hundred bucks and we were a shoe-in on this machine. And he walked over and probably about 75% of the time that we played it, he won the jackpot. And the tickets are just flowing out of this, stacking up. And everyone's gathered around and just, they're just there. And we're just putting them in piles, you know. We're just laughing. We've, we've beat the system and we didn't pay a dime, right? 
We spent a hundred bucks, thousands of tickets. We're just carrying them over the table. We throw them down on the glass and we're like, what can we get? And they put them in that thing to weigh all your tickets and they told us the total. At the end of the day, we spent a hundred, we used a hundred bucks and won the jackpot hundreds of times. And we walked away with two energy drinks. (laughs) There wasn't even enough for a third. I got a little plastic ring with a spider on it. And I remember walking out thinking, I was expecting a little more from the redemption here. (laughs) I think as you look at your life, trying and trying and trying, this is going to do it. This is going to happen. I've even cheated the system. I found the way to fulfillment. And you go to bring it all and put it down and say, give me the life I'm looking for. It ends with disappointment that's why Peter says you've been redeemed from your empty way of life and he says the most precious things that you could buy at that time gold precious stones it's not those aren't what bought you back but instead what's he say the precious blood of Christ it's the only thing that can redeem you pay the ransom to remove you from an empty way of life. Jesus is calling you to have your sins forgiven, to have his righteousness applied to you. And the result is not an easy, carefree life, but it's an abundant life. Life that the way that it was meant to be, what it means to be truly human. Verse 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. Remember the backdrop of this book is the Old Testament. Peter is referring back to the greatest act of redemption in Jewish history. And that was the Passover. When they were slaves in Egypt, the final act of redemption was the Passover. Where anyone who sprinkled the lamb's blood on the doorpost of their home, the angel passed over and they were spared. It was a horrible night for those in Egypt that lost all their firstborn, that didn't have the blood, but a wonderful night of rejoicing for the people that were under the precious blood. Because the death of the lamb paid the price for their freedom. And they went out from bondage into freedom. And Peter is saying here, it is not a lamb's blood that has set you free. It is the precious blood of Christ. It's not just a covering over you, but like John, when he saw Jesus coming towards him, said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Never to be yours ever again. Never to be held over you ever again. Peter is saying the greatest act of redemption in Israel's history was nothing. Jesus is going to give his very life to free the world from slavery to sin and into freedom of worship of God where true freedom is found. Verse 20, he says, He has foreknown before the foundation of the world but was revealed to you in the last times for you. 
Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Where is your faith and hope? It's in the eternal redemption of God that Jesus Christ died for you. It wasn't God's plan B. God wasn't surprised before the foundation of the world how you were chosen before the foundation of the world. God knew that you were going to sin and he put forth Jesus before anyone ever sinned to say he's going to be the savior of humanity. And so this is where our hope, our true fulfillment, our hope in Christ is found. That's why Peter is saying, set your mind on these things. If you possess this type of hope, it should produce in you a particular way of living. I can be so unholy at times. I am not the man who I desire to be as I stand in front of you. And I would imagine if you search your heart, there is, you feel the same way. Let's set our hope on the things of God. And in the power of the Spirit, let's be holy people. Set apart to God for a purpose. Are you living in holiness? If you know Christ, does your life look any different than someone who says they don't? God is calling you in light of the hope that you have to live differently. I want to give you some helpful homework here as we close this out. You'll see it behind me and we'll put it up after the service like we did last week. Here's what I want you to do. Let's together set our hope on Christ the moment we wake up. In the back, when you leave this morning, the ushers are going to give you a prayer that we've written. They want you to put next to you on your bed that when you wake up in the morning, read this prayer as a prayer to God to begin your day with him. A prayer of thanksgiving to help you meditate on the things of God's grace because if you don't begin with God, the other distractions will take over. Next week, we're going to look at just those couple of verses, 22 through 25 of chapter 1. Read those every day this week. Know the passage even before you get here. And you're like, well, I already said this text on my own, Pastor. Let's see what you have to say. And then I want you to evaluate an area of your life where you need to adjust to God's holiness. Do a spiritual inventory and think, where are things in my life? Is there one thing in particular that I am letting the world have its way in my life when I want Christ to have his way in my life? And take a look at that and see what that may be. And as we transition to the Lord's table this morning, I want to just show us behind me Matthew 5, verse 48. It says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Ooh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Last time I checked, that's not me, that's not you. But that's what God demands. Is 100% an absolute perfection. Well, how can that be? Well, what God demands, he supplies. And he demands 100% perfection. And so he provided Jesus, the spotless lamb, to be our substitute. Who never once sinned, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he never talked back. He lived the life that we should have lived but never could, which qualifies him to be our Savior because he lived perfectly. 
How do you be he- perfect like your, like your heavenly father is perfect? You place your trust in Jesus. You say that I'm not perfect. I don't claim to be and I trust the one who is. And by faith, if I place the tr- my trust that Jesus died for me a sinner and rose again, I will have his perfection given to me. So that when the father sees you, he doesn't see your imperfection, he sees the perfect life of Christ in your place. And if that is true of your life, doesn't that make you want to live for Christ in holiness? To be like your father? So I ask you this morning, are you perfect? If you've trusted Christ, the answer is yes. Not in your life right now, but before God you are. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, trust him. Put your faith in him today. He so wants to redeem you from an unfulfilled, empty life. And so now as we move to this table, this is not a time to be down and depressed and discouraged. It is a time of evaluation. I would encourage you, think about where you need to adjust to God, where you're falling short, confess it and move forward and then celebrate that Christ has been offered for us in our place. And let's partake together. Hey, this is for, this is the Lord's table and this is for people who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. This is for believers. If you're not a believer and you know it, this isn't for you and we're so glad that you're here. Just let this pass by you today. Don't participate today. Uh, no one's going to make a scene or, or even look at you because you didn't, okay? But if you are a believer in Christ, that is that you've placed your full trust in Jesus, not your works, but trusting that he did everything for you on the cross and rose again. This is for you as a reminder that Christ has accomplished everything. Forgiveness of sins and abundant life here and now in eternal life. So if you uh, come up here, we're going to have a couple people on the sides holding these, and I'll be down front. You can grab one of these. There are some gluten-free ones in the front. Take these back with you to your seat. And at your seat, there's actually a really convenient little cup holder on there. You can put it in while you wait for the rest of us to get ours, and we'll all partake together, okay? Let's pray.